0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, as I said to Brandon earlier, I was like, man, I'm excited today. And he's like, big shocker, you're excited today. I came like, but I am excited today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. So excited for, um, you're here on a good day. Something new's happening today. We'll get to that in a second. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. And I just want to warn you today that um, we're going to be in Genesis. Um, pretty much the whole morning, except for just one little part, and so just keep your place in Genesis as I read like Genesis two as we go through, we're going to go through many different passages. So just keep your place in Genesis. if it's on your phone, that's easy. You can just keep scrolling when it comes time. But just be ready to stay there. And so um, we'll get to this in a second, which I'm really pumped about. But um, <clears throat> one thing I want to let you guys know of, uh, I've heard from quite a few people that um, they kind of miss having places to serve in the church because like, that's one thing that we're really big at we want to be man just love jesus and glorify god and have be filled up in this church so that we can go outside of these walls but like by now we probably would have had one or two block parties already we would have had a big party with um um williams elementary to launch off the new school year we would have been working with tom Watkins neighborhood there's the president over there hi president how you doing prez uh, president of Tom Walkins Neighborhood. We would have done some multiple things probably with the Tom Walkins Neighborhood Association by now. And so a lot of those things have just been kind of shut down. And we're, we're talking and we're praying. I'm actually having lunch even with Corey and Dwayne today, not to call you out Corey and Dwayne, one of our two of our deacons, about ways that we can serve, ways that we can be engaged. Um, it may not be the big block party type thing. We may figure out ways to in smaller clumps, smaller groups to go serve and, and do, uh, do other things. We, we, we haven't figured it all out yet, but we're working and we're praying on that. But if you, if you have been here, maybe you've heard this already, but Tony and Emily Savage have a way we can serve now. You're not, you don't remember who they are. They're members that were at this church, and they felt God calling them to Knoll, Missouri, which is about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away. Knoll, Missouri, because there's a huge immigrant, immigrant population there. And they felt God calling to, like, from different languages, not just certain immigrants, like, lots of different immigrants. And they're going down there, and they're working, toward, they're working with different organizations, and they're working towards opening a coffee shop, man, just to spread the love of Jesus Christ, so people that have maybe, some of them have really never heard that much about Jesus at all, might hear about him for the first time. And so next Saturday, we're going to give you details later in the announcements, but next Saturday, they need people to come down there, and they've been kind of donated a, a house, and they've been donated like a, basically a gym, and they need help just painting. And maybe that doesn't seem like a super exciting thing, right? But like this is the mission God's called to us. Sometimes, sometimes it seems really exciting, and sometimes, man, it's picking up a paint, drop it, paint, paintbrush and helping missionaries who are giving their lives to this So you can help them paint so that they can do the work of the ministry. And we're going to continue to pray for them and update you about what's going on with them. Um, We want to stay engaged. Just because they left doesn't mean they're not part of Freshwater Church. Because Freshwater Church is a part of the family of God, the bride of Christ, and we're all on the same team. And so I really just ask you to pray and think about, hey, can I go next Saturday? It's from 10 to 3, I think. Again, Denny will have the details afterwards. But can I go next Saturday and just help paint to help further this ministry? This is one way, right? The big groups are tough. But this is one way that you can go serve next Saturday. So really think and pray about going to do that. And I really want Tony and Emily to feel like we're supporting them from a distance because they're, they've got a long road and probably a difficult and sometimes lonely road ahead of them of what, what God's called them to. So we want to be behind them. Okay. Um, let's just jump in. You guys ready? Do you guys remember the teaching symposium? you're here, well, we had a teaching symposium, and if you, if, if you, if you haven't heard of that before, what, what we wanted to do is anybody in the church that wanted to learn to more effectively preach the gospel, pre- preach the word of God, teach the word of God, we want to give people the opportunity to do that. And what would they do, they'd come and teach, and then we had a panel there that would give them feedback right then. And then we, we'd write it down to, we'd give them feedback, we'd give them encouragements, things that they could work on, ways that they can grow. It was super intimidating, and I, I think I told you before, everybody absolutely killed it. I was... I had pretty high expectations, especially the people that were involved, and they blew my expectations out of the water. It was so good. I left so (laughs) encouraged. We're doing it again in October, I believe. I don't know if we're going to announce that this week, but if you want to be a part of the teaching symposium next time, um, please come talk to me. We'll get you you on the list, because that's coming up again in a month and a half or two. Uh, But one of the teachers at the teaching symposium was Maggie Allen. She's here today, right? Where are you, Maggie? oh, she's hiding behind, yeah, I can't see her. She's hiding behind something. Maggie, like everybody did a great job. Maggie did an awesome job. I just really loved um, what Maggie had to teach on. But one of the things that she said that has really stuck with me, and I don't, I don't remember it word for word, right? But that she basically said this, that, that history, especially biblical history, but, but history is God's highway, right? History is God's roadmap to us understanding his sovereign will, his plan throughout time. And I just love that because we can't really understand who our God is and what he has done without understanding our history, what, what we've been through, where we've been, and where he has us going. I remember sitting down with my mom one time after I started kind of moving towards this pastor thing, and she kind of told me that she didn't know much about the Old Testament at all because she was, she was a New Testament Christian. She grew up in churches that were, well, with, the Old Testament was then. We have the New Testament now. And like, this is my mom. My God, like, this is only like 10, 12 years ago. Like, it broke my heart. I'm like, what? So my mom and I started going through the Old Testament and talking about it. She read the Old Testament. And we would talk about it. And she started seeing all these connections from the Old Testament to the New. And it blew her mind that God was so much bigger than she ever, she'd ever learned, than she'd ever knew. God, our God is huge. And, and the history shows us just how huge our God is, just how big his plans are. And that's why we do things like going through the book of Exodus. I love the New Testament. I spend most of my time in the New Testament. But we just got out of Romans for like seven years. And so it was time to switch it up a little bit. But what you're going to see is as we go through some Genesis stuff today and as we go through the book of Exodus, how often the New Testament is pointing back to the things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks in particular. Man, it really grows our knowledge and our understanding of who our God is. And so this week, as I've said before, we're starting a new series, Exodus with the tagline, kingdom to kingdom. And you're going to find out what kingdom to kingdom means in a second. And I can't wait. So much time has gone into studying this and thinking about this and praying over this. And I'm, ready. I'm so glad it's finally here. And um, I'm, I'm really excited, not only because if you read Exodus, you know this. This is not an exaggeration. I tend, I tend towards hyperbole, right, to exaggerate. I know. I'm working on it, right? But Exodus, without a doubt, is one of the most epic exciting crazy miracle filled stories in all of the bible like just these crazy things just happening again and again and again and again and again i mean it is just epic and so i'm i'm really pumped about that i'm, I'm pumped to talk through this story and walk through this story together but one of the other things i'm really excited about is exodus is this beautiful road map throughout history that helps us understand god's redeeming plan for all of mankind that stretches all the way back to the beginning you see it so clearly in Exodus if you have the right context, what these big things that God is doing. So here's what, here's what it's going to look like over the next few weeks. Over the next few weeks, um, we're going to talk mainly about the themes of Exodus and the covenants leading into Exodus. So we'll get into the cultural context. We'll get into more of the historical context and the author who wrote who wrote the book of Exodus and all of those stuff. So we'll get to that in just a few weeks. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to lay out the major themes And then look at the history leading into this book. Because the history leading into this book is super important if we're going to grasp what God is really trying to teach us and show us in the book of Exodus. And so let's just start here. I just want to start with the the main... This is a passage in Exodus, in Exodus 6, that really kind of defines this book. And so if you want to flip to Exodus, you can, but we're going to put it up on the screen. This is Exodus 6, 5 through 8, and the main theme of this entire book is found here. Read it with me. Moreover... Who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians? I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession, for I am the Lord. Did you notice how many times God said, I will, or I, or I am? This is a book about God. This is a book about what God is going to do. He promises He will do. He is fulfilling, and all the promises that are even coming out of that, out of this book for us. This is a book so God-centered. And when you get a book that is this God-centered, you see amazing things happen, and we're going to see that. And so there are lots of themes running through the book of Exodus. Major ones, minor ones, I don't know. Denver and I spent a lot of time on this. How many themes did we end up with? Probably 15 that we could have done. But all of those minor themes kind of roll into these three major themes. So these are going to be our three major themes for this series. Covenant faithfulness, deliverance, and God's presence. I think we even got a slide for it right there: covenant, faithfulness, deliverance, and God's presence. And you see all of those in this passage that we just looked at, right? So, Javi, we flip back to that, to the Exodus passage, you can see the first, the first one in verse five, that one that starts right there at the beginning, where it starts with "Moreover," God says to them, "I have remembered my covenant." Right? This, is, this book is a fulfillment of God's covenant. In verse 8, he doesn't have it right here, but he says he goes on to say that I'm going to give you the land that I promised to, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. That's the fulfillment of promises that God has made to his people, right? This is a book about the fulfillment of covenants. No, that's number one overall. The second major theme, which I think will be pretty obvious if you know anything about this book, is deliverance. God is going to, de, de, he's going to redeem his people through deliverance. But a major thing we're going to see throughout this book is that deliverance comes through sacrifice. And what a major theme of the entire Bible. Deliverance through sacrifice. Redemption through sacrifice. And then our third major theme in this story is God's presence. God is not only promising them deliverance through the fulfillment of his covenants, but that he will be their God. Like, he will be their God. Like, that, we take that for granted now, don't we? Through Jesus Christ, that he's our God. But, but like, since Adam and Eve, there have been distance between God and his people. And he says, I'm going to be your God, and you will be my people, and you shall truly know me. They're going to know God through the book of Exodus and what he does. They're going to know God like no one has ever known God before, before this time, except for maybe Abraham himself. And all of those themes, covenant faithfulness, deliverance, and God's presence can be subdu- summed up in the tagline for our series, Kingdom to Kingdom. Because the, the real story of Exodus, and by the way, just the real story of the Bible throughout all of history, if you go back and read the Bible, is that God is going to deliver us from the kingdom of man into the kingdom of heaven. From the kingdom of sin into the kingdom of God. And that's what this book is about. Delivering them from the kingdom of sin and man into the kingdom of God. Kingdom to kingdom. That's what this book is really about. And so as we go through this book, we're going to talk about those themes a lot more. They're going to come up again and again and again. And we'll contrast what the kingdom of man looks like versus the kingdom of God looks like. Where we'll talk about those things a lot. But If we're going to really understand this series As I said, if we're really going to dive in We've got to understand the history And the covenants leading into this series Because they are the foundation For what Exodus is trying to say say to us And honestly, church, just to be clear They're the foundation for our entire faith For our entire faith Because the reality is Is that promise after promise Covenant after covenant Is being answered consistently in this book Now, I keep talking about covenants Where did those covenants come from? Where do they originate? I think I heard somebody say God. Yes. Amen. They come from God. But where do we find them? Genesis, right? We find them in the, the book of Genesis. They, they lay the groundwork for the, everything that comes after. So what we're going to do in the, this week is we're going to look at those covenants. We're going to go back into Genesis, and we're going to look at these different covenants. And, I, and I'm telling you, if you want to understand the gospel, you need to understand these covenants. For, because for some of you if you've been coming to Freshwater for any amount of time even last week even through our biblical manhood and womanhood series through the gospel family we've talked about some of these things and so for some of you it's going to be review some of you it's going to be brand new information right but even if this is review listen when we talk through these covenants do not tune me out because these these are unbelievably important if you actually and truly want to be able to share the gospel with, some, with someone if you were here last week or you heard what we talked about last week we talked about the gospel up here right There's the gospel up here and the gospel down there. The gospel down there is just the nitty gritty Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins by his death, by his blood. He was resurrected three days later and now we can be resurrected to something new in him and have eternal life with him. Like that's the down and dirty really simple version of the gospel. But this is why sometimes people get confused. There's also the overarching story of the gospel throughout history, right? That Jesus is the center point of all that God is doing and you can see it. So if you really want to be able to communicate the story of the Bible through Jesus Christ... You got to be able to stand the gospel up here and the key to understanding the gospel up here is the covenants and really what started in Genesis and so pay attention let this stuff if you haven't before if you just kind of heard me preach it before let this stuff sink into your heart really learn today really let this grow inside of you because this is the key to helping people understand like my mom never understood what the story of the Bible really is a story about God and his plan to deliver his people back to his kingdom okay so we're going to look at Three major covenants today Right at the beginning of the Bible We're going to look at the covenant of works The covenant of grace And the covenant with Noah Or sometimes people call it the Noahic covenant That's the fancy way of saying it If you say that to me I'll be super impressed right? Not the covenant with Noah, the Noahic covenant We're going to look at these And and again these are just going to be key for us understanding um, The story of Exodus And the next week we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenants So let's just start with the first one The covenant of works and the Bible doesn't call it the covenant of the works. That's just a name that some people have have given and given this covenant. And so if we're going to start, let's just start at the beginning. I'm going to be succinct as we possibly can. But as we've talked about before, in the beginning God created everything, right? And then he created us, his image bearers, like the the reflection of who God is. We that the the ones that really and truly give God glory. He created us and when he created everything else and he created us and he said it was very good. Now we talk about that all the time. It wasn't just good, it was very good. But here's the thing, it was actually perfect. It was perfect. Now, can we try to picture that for a second? What that must have been like? I know we hear the story, right? But I want, it, I want it to take it personal, a little bit personal. Like, can you imagine a, a living in a world where there is no hurt? Where there's no shame? Where, where there's no pride getting in the way of our, our connections? Where there's no fear and anxiety? How much fear and anxiety is trying to take over the world right now during COVID? So many people have talked about the highs and the lows of depression and anxiety and fear and mental stress during this time. So no abuse and even no death because there was no sin. And we're going to see just in a second. Death is the result of sin. There's no death. There's no sin. Just a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with the other. Even a perfect relation, harmonious relationship with nature. Can you even wrap your mind around only having joy and goodness and peace and that's it? I think it's hard for us to even imagine what that would be like, isn't it? I think that's why so many of us have a hard time with heaven. Like, even for some of us, heaven sounds boring, right? Because we're so used to the drama and the pain and the evil and the suffering and all these things that bring us out. Like, we can't even imagine. Like, God's saying, all you're going to experience is goodness and joy and pleasure forevermore. And we're like, man, that sounds boring. I can't wrap my mind around that. Like, How messed up is that? Like, we're so corrupted by sin. This world's so corrupted by sin that we can't even imagine perfection with God where it sounds like the greatest hope that we could possibly have because it is our greatest hope. But it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around that because things are so twisted in this world. But they, Adam and Eve, had harmony with God. And as you guys know, in that perfection, God gave them one rule. We quote, we talk about this one rule a lot, this one thing a lot, but let's look at it. Look at Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 15. Let's read it. As we talked about last week, the gospel up here, creation, fall. This is where we start learning about what the fall is going to look like. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We call this the covenant of works because there was a specific action there was a specific work that we're they were supposed to do or to look at it from the negative side that they weren't supposed to do they were not supposed to eat fruit from that one tree so the positive side god's promise to them is i've created all of this for you be fruitful and multiply all the trees are you all of this is a blessing for you you just can't do one thing do not do one action do not do one work now the word covenant is not is not used here right we're going to see in the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenants, it talks about covenant all the time. The word covenant's not used here, so some people don't like to use the word covenant for covenant of works, but listen, the Bible calls this a covenant. In Hosea 6-7, the prophet Hosea talks about how Adam and Eve broke their covenant with God. This is a covenant, a covenant with God, and so why do we call it a covenant? Well, what is it, what does even a covenant mean? Do you know? It's a word we're using all the time, but I want to under, I want to make sure that we understand what a covenant is. Here here's a simple, a very simple definition of what a covenant is. A covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two parties. That's it. And so like marriage ends up being a really good example of a covenant. This is not a contract. A contract is you do what you're supposed to do, I'll do what I'm supposed to do, and if, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then I can break the contract. This is not based off of responsibility. This is based off a of relationship. You see the difference? Now, do responsibilities come within relationships? Yeah, like within marriage. Like, If you commit adultery against them, like that can potentially break the covenant. God doesn't want that to break the covenant, but it can. right? This is oath- bound relationship i'm committing my life in this i'm committing i'm committing to this relationship not just the actions although actions are involved oath bound relationship between two parties but there's also a divine covenant still a covenant but it's a covenant established by god so a divine covenant is god sovereign, sovereignly establishing his relationship to his creation listen god's our creator we were his idea How everything works or doesn't work is because of him. God gets to determine what our relationship looks like. And so a divine covenant is God saying what our relationship will look in relation to him. But here's the thing about who our God is. He doesn't have to do this. He binds himself to these covenants. Right, when he makes a covenant to us, by God's own word, by who he is, he binds himself to us. Now, most of the time, we have a part in those covenants also. Listen, not always. We're going to see one of the covenants today. We don't have a part to play in one of the covenants. God just makes a promise. But most of the time, there's a side for us, too, that we are to keep our side of the covenant as God keeps his side of the covenant. And what we're going to see throughout Genesis, throughout Exodus, through the whole story of the Bible is that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his side of the covenant throughout history over time. The question is, do we keep our side of the covenant? No. Almost never. Over the long term, we see mankind reciprocate the kind of faithfulness that God is showing to us by binding himself and never breaking any covenant, any promise he's ever made. So back to our point for today, the covenant of works. Did Adam and Eve keep their covenant, this covenant of works with God, their side of things? No. Right, this is the fall when we talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration that we talked about last week. This is the fall. They ate the fruit and brought sin into the world and fractured everything. Namely, they fractured their relationship with God and their relationship with each other, but they fractured every way, everything. And so you've heard me talk about this before you've been coming here, but I want us to I want us to just sit in this for a second again. What was basically the first thing that Adam and Eve did, or the first thing they noticed after they broke this covenant? That they were naked. So often in Scripture, nakedness and shame are connected. And does that make sense? How many of us have had that dream where we're standing naked in front of the class giving a presentation? And we're horrified. But can you imagine a world where everybody was naked and you didn't think twice about it? Like, that seems weird, right, for us to even say. That's like a strange thing. But can you imagine how a wonderful world? Like, there's never any judgment. There's never any like on how anybody looks. Or what like we don't we don't care about those things at all. We're just fully and completely good with how we look how God made us how others look like we're just joy like doesn't even cross our mind to think about those things what a beautiful thing that would be no shame and after they, they try to cover themselves with leaves what's the second thing that they did they ran and hid from God again I think this is something that we skip over but can you think about how tragic this is they've never known shame They've never wanted anything but to be in God's presence because he is wholeness, he is joy, he is peace. And they sin and their hearts are broken. They, they wanted to be like God. And what being like God is, is knowing the devastation of sin and evil. That's what being God is, knowing the pain that comes with evil and sin. And they now know this. And so for the first time ever, they cover themselves. They're ashamed and they try to run from, the, from their creator who gave them everything good. People try to say sometimes that the Bible isn't relevant anymore. This is the very first story. Do you ever try to run and hide from your shame? Do you ever try to use addiction or entertainment or busyness just to cover up the things that are in your heart that you know you need to deal with, that you're ashamed for, but you just kind of run from for a time because you don't want to think? You run from your shame, you try to cover it. you ever had a time in your life where you just felt like you didn't deserve what God is giving you, or you just, you just felt too, too wrong to be in God's presence, so you just avoided God. You ran away from God. When God's begging you in Scripture, come to me, I'm your peace, I'll forgive, I love you, yet we run. You think we're that different than Adam and Eve? Church, this is still tragic. Especially after we went through Romans, if you know what God's saying, God's saying, come, I know what you've done, but come, I'll forgive, I love Like, death is out there. Life is here. Come. And that's what Adam and Eve, they had life that they chose death, and so they're trying to run from their God. It's tragic. It's just tragic, and we do the same today. So as they ran, God begins to lay out the consequences of their sin. But I just want us to see, you see in Genesis 3, God lays out the consequences of sin for men he lays out the consequences of sin for women there's there's consequences because evils now in the world there is a the curse of sin but in the midst of God laying that out right after Adam and Eve failed epically and listen we would don't don't think that you would have done different than Adam and Eve but they failed epically like they broke the world forever until Jesus Christ returns but even though they broke God's covenant of works, even though they failed epically, right there in the midst of even God saying, this is what's going to happen now because of what you've done, God is right there with the covenant, of, the covenant of grace. Right then, God shows his grace immediately even though they only had one rule. And that's in Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3. Verse 15. Genesis 3:15. This is God talking to Satan, the consequences to him. For doing this, for tempting Adam and Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Many people call this the proto evangelium, and that's just a big fancy word saying meaning the first announcement of the gospel. God is telling Satan here, and listen, people want to say, well, this is just a snake, which I don't know why people would be convinced it was a talking snake, but, but anyway, people say this is just a snake, but listen, Scripture calls Satan the great serpent. Scripture calls Satan a snake. Revelation refers to Satan as the great serpent over and over, so Scripture calls Satan a snake. We know that this is Satan. The intention was this, for this to be a Satan, and Scripture interprets this as Satan, so in this moment, God comes to Satan, and he says, a son of Eve is going to come. And yes, Satan, you may bruise his heel. You may do some damage, but he is going to bruise your head. He's going to do far more damage to you than you do to him. Church, this points to the day that Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross. Was that a tragic event? Yes. Was it a terrible thing? Yes, Jesus was harmed. Jesus was hurt. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was killed. But Jesus did not stay dead. And so, yes, Jesus was hurt on that day, but Satan was hurt much worse because on that day, Jesus conquered the power of Satan, sin and death. He conquered that power so that we know he can no longer enslave the children of God. Yes, sometimes we give in to temptation of sin. Yes, sometimes we fear death. But Jesus freed us from that power so we don't have to be enslaved by those things any longer. And then one day, Jesus is going to come and completely undo that curse. But until that day, right now, he's delivered us from the power. This is God right from the beginning, promising a son that is going to come and undo this curse. And then through the rest of Scripture, we see these whispers or these blatant promises of a son that's going to come and deliver. A son that's going to come and redeem. A son that is going to come and undo. And we see it again and again and again throughout the Bible. This is the covenant of grace. Again, a covenant that plays out in the rest of the Bible and by the way a covenant that's still playing out today God has partially answered this covenant but it hasn't been fully answered it won't be fully and completely answered until Jesus Christ returns now not only did that happen but within this covenant within this story within this moment in Genesis 321 God does something beautiful God gave Adam and Eve garments of animal skin to clothe them now This is something that we might just pass over and think, oh, that's nice, or that God did this for them. But remember, before this moment, before this happened, there was no death. And there was no shame. Death and shame didn't exist. Yet in this moment, God sees their shame. He sees the shame and what they feel in their nakedness as the result of their sin, and God sacrifices an animal to cover that shame. As far as we know, this is the first time death has occurred, and God uses this death to cover the shame of their sin. Again, that might seem like a coincidence, but God said the penalty of sin is death in the covenant of works. That's what death, that's what sin deserves. So from this moment on, when there's a sacrifice of this animal to cover the shame of their sin, we consistently see that sacrifice must occur to cover our shame. Sacrifice must occur to cover our sin because the penalty of sin is death. So either God is going to take us, we are going to die for our sin, or there's going to be a substitute to cover our sin, to cover our shame. We see this play out with Cain and Abel right after this, where Abel brings a sacrifice, and that is pleasing to God. We'll see it in the story of Exodus. We see it in so many other stories, but in particular for today, I'm going to stay focused, we see a need for sacrifice play out in the, next, in the last major covenant that we want to talk about today, the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. So let's, this, we got to paint a little bit of a picture for us to really grasp the covenant with Noah. I think some of us know that story. But we want to make sure we're all on the same page. So flip over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to see kind of the beginnings of this story, what was going on. We're going to start reading in verse 5, or we'll read through verse 10. Genesis 6, 5 through 10. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a really important part to understanding the rest of this story, right? Because this is one of the toughest stories in the Bible. Like, we're getting to the flood, right? But I didn't say, God didn't say here that sin was running rampant, that sin was bad. He's saying that all the intentions of every man's heart was only sin continually. Church, this is what we see when God does not restrain evil, The law hadn't come yet. The Abrahamic covenants hadn't come yet. Moses hadn't come yet. David hadn't come yet. All of God's promises hadn't rolled out yet, and so God wasn't there in the same way to restrain evil. And when God's not there to restrain evil like he has for us through Christ, look at what the result is. Your enemy is powerful. The temptation to sin is powerful. The temptation to give into evil is powerful. And what God is saying is in this moment, all the intentions of everyone's heart was only evil all the time. That's the context. For this story to make any sense, you've got to understand the context of what was happening in the world at the time of Noah. Keep reading in verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, God sees the evil. He regrets that he made the earth. There's one man, one man's family that seems to follow God. That seems to seek righteousness, that seems to do what God has asked them to do. Sin is this rampant. God has this much regret, so he lays out what he's going to do, the judgment that he's going to bring on this sin, on this rampant sin. Look at verse six or look at chapter six again, let's skip get, get down to verse seventeen. Read seventeen and eighteen. For behold. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So that's the beginning of this covenant. God telling them what he's going to do he's going to flood the earth so if you've never heard the story of Noah like Noah builds the ark right God commands Noah to build the ark he builds this enormous ark he brings his family and then two of all different kinds of animals come onto the boat so they can procreate after this and kind of restart the, even the animal kingdom and then it floods for 40 days and 40 nights it says the earth was opened up the heavens were opened up like all the all the water in the land came and flooded the entire earth and listen killed everyone this is what happened I believe this actually happened I don't think this is a good story it's good folklore I don't know if you look throughout the history no I'm not going to do that but in, all over the world there are stories of cr- a crazy flood that came and some people say well that's where the Bible got the story or a flood actually came and all of these different cultures throughout history have had a story of this because it really happened what's more likely that the Bible just pulled this no this, this actually happened I am derailing I'm not going to derail let's go we don't have time Now, I want you to understand something. Noah wasn't on this boat because he was perfect. I think we can see the words like righteous and blameless, and we think that means because Noah was perfect. In fact, you you know that we see Noah sin against God not very long after he gets off the ark. It's like a major story in this thing. Noah was not a perfect man. His family was not perfect. But what we see from what we know throughout the story of Noah, throughout this story of the ark and everything else is that Noah loves God, that he follows God, that he is humble before God, and he has a repentant heart before God. He's willing to confess his sin before God. We're gonna see in a minute, sacrifice to cover his sin before God and do whatever God asks of him this is what God is asking. God is not demanding perfection for those who love him. By the way, he is demanding perfection for those who don't love him. That's the standard. But God, if, those, if people will come to God in faith, will repent of their sins, will humble themselves before God, God is ready and waiting to forgive. And listen, there was no one else on the earth that was willing to do that. That's the story of Noah, except Noah and his family. God's not expecting you to be perfect, church. He's expecting you to humble yourself before him so he can pour out his grace, his love, his mercy for those who have faith in him. And that's the example that Noah leaves for us. Not perfection, humility before God. So before we kind of actually focus on the rest of the part of this covenant, because the beginning of the covenant is that God will protect Noah and his family. He'll take care of those who are faithful to him. Right, let me give, give, give us three kind of practical, real-world things that are important from the story of Noah, things I want us to take away today. Right, So here's the first one. First thing I want you to take away from the story of Noah, that this story is a warning. That might seem obvious, right? Listen, I, can we just say it? This is a horrifying story. right? It, it's a horrifying story. Can we just say that? I know Sunday schools have kind of tried to play it up and make it a cute story. The animals come two by two, hurrah, hurrah. That's not what this is. Right? I get it, like we want to make things more t- palatable for our children But this is not a kid's story This is a horrifying story I'm going to go out on a limb I don't think this is hyperbole, call me out if it is I think other than Jesus Christ The perfect God-man dying on the cross This is probably the most horrifying story in all of history Is that fair? So why did God do this? Why did God cause this? I think there's lots of reasons But but I think the main reason is so that we might understand the gravity. We might understand the devastation. We might understand the horror of sin. It is a horror in God's eyes. And what sin and evil will do to this world if God is not there to restrain it. Because if you really take time to dwell on this story, to think about this story, not the animals come two by two, but to really dwell on what this story is saying, how can you not see the seriousness of sin in God's eyes? God takes sin so seriously that it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around how serious this is. That's why it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around why God would do something like he did in the story of Noah because we don't dwell in how holy God is and because how holy and righteous God is, how evil and horrific and horrible that sin is in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. This helps us see sin for what it truly is. Cosmic treason against a holy and righteous God that's why he set up the penalty for for sin from the beginning death death is what's deserved do we do we dwell on that at all I think it's hard for us because we live in a time of grace right when Jesus Christ has come it's hard for us to feel the gravity of this but if Noah felt a little bit closer to you if the sacrificial system felt a little closer to you if some of these stories in the Old Testament felt a little closer do you think you might take this a little bit more seriously I think I would I don't take this seriously enough. I need stories like the story with Noah and what God did through the flood so I feel warned about my sin and the seriousness of it. So, the first thing I want us to get is this is a warning, church, that, a warning that we need to take seriously. At the same time, though, this horrific story, this terrible warning, is an encouragement to us. It's such an encouragement. God spared Noah and his family. And not, again, not because they were perfect. Noah was sinful also. His family was sinful also. But because God's grace is bigger than Noah and his family's sin. Even though sin is this terrible, even though it's this cosmic treason, God is right there, right then, willing to forgive sinners if they just come to him in faithfulness and humility and repentance and say, I will follow you. I will do it your way, God, not my way. God is willing to forgive right then, That's why it seems like, and I've been going through Psalms, that that Psalms must say about God that God is a God of steadfast love a thousand times, again and again and again. God is primarily a God of steadfast love. He's willing to forgive in a moment. And so that is a great point of encouragement, to look at the first part of this covenant and God's saying, because you're faithful to me, I'll protect you. I'll guard you. I'll take care of you. Yes, you may deserve judgment and wrath for your sin too, but you've humbled yourself before me. You love me, and I love you. I will forgive. I will protect. I will guard. That's such an encouragement part of the, encouraging part of the story. Listen, if you're in Christ, you are in Team Noah. You're in the Noah camp, not in the drowning camp. The second point of encouragement in this, and the, the most relevant one to us today, is when they do get off the boat what is the first thing that God does when they get off that ark he makes a promise to them flip over to Genesis 9 Genesis 9 we're going to start reading in verse 11 Genesis 9:11. we'll read through verse 13 this is right after they get off the boat I establish my covenant with you this is God talking to them that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So, church, be encouraged, one, that this Noahic covenant is an unconditional covenant. This part of the covenant is unconditional. There's no our side. God's just promising, I... He's not requiring anything of us. He's not asking us to do anything. He's just simply making a promise. I'll never do this again. I'll never bring the flood like this again. I'll never wipe out humanity like this again. And not only that, I'm going to put the rainbow in the sky so that every time it rains, you know that I'm not coming for you like this again. I'm not, I'm not going to let this happen again. Church, oh, I know we see rainbows in the sky. It's like, oh, it's a rainbow. Man, we need to be reminded of what that rainbow really means. God's faithfulness to us who love him and even his faithfulness to those who don't love him. His grace and His mercy, because He's saying, I'm not going to do this again. We've seen, when it comes to rampant, unrepentant sin, that this is what's deserved. But God says, I'm going to restrain my judgment and not do it like this again. So be encouraged, not only that God's promising that He'll never do this again, but that again, the first part of the covenant, He protects those who love Him. Thank God that the flood shows us the cataclysmic, and that is a, a perfect word for what happened on the world, that that The flood shows us the cataclysmic consequences for sin, the absolute horror of it in God's sight, yet it shows us that no matter what the reality of our sin is, God wants to protect us, guard us, give us grace, and forgive us if we love and follow him. So the second thing I want us to get from the story of the flood of Noah is that through this covenant, we should be encouraged. We can be encouraged. Our God is faithful, and he forgives The last thing I want us to get from this story within the Noah covenant is what it foreshadows. Now what do I mean by that? What it foreshadows? The flood was the judgment of God on the world. And the judgment came. And then the waters receded. We talked about the first thing that God does. But do you know what the first thing that Noah did when he got off the boat? He built an altar. He sacrificed to God. And he worshiped. He makes a sacrifice before God, showing us once again that redemption, that deliverance from judgment and wrath comes through sacrifice. This will play out in virtually every book all the way through the rest of the Bible. Noah escaping God's terrible wrath and judgment for sin, again, was not about his perfection, but his willingness to faithfully repent and humble himself before God. As always, as we'll see in the covenants next week, it is about faith. And God's willingness to forgive sin and when atonement is made through sacrifice and through through humility. So this foreshadows a day, right? Can you see the day this is foreshadowing? It's foreshadowing a day when the one and true, the pure sacrifice would come, the once and for all sacrifice that would come and atone for all sin, for all time, for anyone who had had faith. Right, that God's, God's ultimate judgment is going to come, God's ultimate judgment is deserved, but there is a once and for all sacrifice that if we trust in, if we believe in, we don't have to continually make sacrifices to try to be okay between us and God, to have peace with God, that Jesus Christ came and was a sacrifice himself. All of this is pointing to the day of the promise in Genesis 3, the son that will come and bring redemption through sacrifice. And then the story of Noah, Noah also points to ultimate judgment for sin and sinners, Do you hear that? We're talking about God's grace, but it's also pointing to an ultimate judgment for sin and sinners. We see clearly from the story what God thinks of rampant, unrepentant sin and what is deserved for that. Do not let that go. Do not forget about this part of the story. And yes, in the Noahic covenant, God promises to never flood the earth again, but that doesn't mean that God is not, not once again going to let the deserved consequences for sin come upon the world. They will. It's coming. As I said before, we live in a time of grace. The time of Christ when grace upon grace upon grace upon grace has been poured out on us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. I don't know if I'm supposed to say things like this, but I'm so thankful I didn't live in the Old Testament. Are you? God was faithful then. He was good then. He's just as good then as he is now. But I'm thankful that I get to live in a time when I know God like they didn't get to know God. When I get to experience God's grace in a way that many of them didn't get to experience God's grace. A time when I get to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, empowering me to be more like Jesus. I'm so thankful. And that's the time that we get to live in. But hear me, that time is going to end. Everybody wants to say that God is love because they're only focusing on a little sliver. That's why history and what God's promising is so important because Jesus Christ is coming again, right? And when he comes again, what's he coming with? The sword. That's how scripture describes this. Jesus Christ, the God is love one that everybody looks at. Jesus Christ is coming with the sword. And when he comes again, the time of grace is over. There is no more grace. That time has ended. That age is over. A time when God's final judgment will run as fierce and as hot as it did in the time of Noah. Because God is going to make right the fierce and unrepentant sin that exists in this world. And it's a time where God will separate those who love him from those who have rejected him. Those who have faith in him or those who have chosen chosen to have faith in themselves or something else where God will take the ones he separated who love him and will join him in paradise, and it'll be, again, we're going to get to experience even more than what Adam and Eve got to experience at the beginning, perfection. But for the others, they will be separated out forever, separated from God's presence forever, and cast into hell. That's what the Bible teaches. So the flood clearly portrays and points us to two important truths that the day of judgment is coming. And that is going to be a day of terror. That is going to be a day of horror for those who have rejected God. But it also points us to the incredible truth of grace in Jesus Christ. And we know that no matter what we have done, no matter how far we've run, no matter how rampant our sin has gotten, if we turn to God in Jesus Christ, if we humble ourselves, if we're willing to repent and we're willing to trust God in faith, God will forgive no matter what. Because the truth of the flood, the truth that we see in Scripture, is that as horrifying as sin is in the sight of God's, God's grace is always bigger than His judgment and wrath for those who love Him. They don't even compare. And in the flood, it seems like how could God be that angry, have that much wrath towards sin and forgive? God's grace is so much bigger than the wrath and judgment we saw in the flood and the wrath and judgment we'll see in the last day for those who have faith in Him. And as I said, as I, you know, you've heard me say before and I'll say again, you can't understand the enormity of God's grace without understanding first the horror of sin. And the flood helps us understand the horror of sin and the goodness of God's grace, how much bigger God's grace is. So church, our God, story by story covenant by covenant, sacrifice by sacrifice throughout history has given us a road map, right? This is the roadmap of how we find our way back into the presence of God because that's what really this is about. Adam and Eve lost, lost their experience to be in the presence of God but God throughout history, throughout redemptive history is pointing us back to the way where we can come back into His presence, back into peace with Him, back to what Adam and Eve had before the fall. And this week we got to see See that play out with how God responds to Adam and Eve after they broke the covenant of works with the covenant of grace, covering their sin and shame with a sacrifice. And we see that play out in the Noahic covenant when God shows, his, shows us the unbelievable seriousness of sin in the flood, but also his immeasurable grace for those who love him despite their failures and how God views them despite their failures. And throughout history, we see God paving the way for his people. Listen, I want us to thank His people, His beloved children. That's who you are. Not some sinner that He puts up with, right? His beloved children and how He is going to deliver us from the kingdom of sin, from the kingdom of man into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of Christ, into the kingdom of perfection. That's where God is leading this whole story and that's what it's leading us into the book of Exodus. So come back next week because in my opinion, next week we're going to look at some of the greatest promises that God ever made. I just love them and what they say. And how so many of those promises, even though they're promised all the way back at the very beginning, not only point to Christ, but how God is going to use, or how God is going to fulfill those covenants through us, through sinful people like you and me. Come back next week and let's dive into the history and see the plan of God's, redemptive, his, see the plan of God's redemption throughout history. Let's pray. God, as the song said, your grace, how could it be? Peace and grace, how could it be? God, I'm so thankful that you cared enough to share your words with us, to show us who you are, that you're a God of holy and righteous righteousness, Yet you still want us to know you, to experience you. And even though we're sinful, even though sin is that horrifying in your sight, you still wanted to make a way that we could come back to you, that we could be forgiven, that we could experience your grace, your mercy, your peace. And so, God, no matter where we came from today, whether whether there's people in this room that aren't believers or aren't sure they're believers, or whether there's people that came in today that... That needed, needed to remember that who you are, God. I pray that we'd help to lay it all down at your feet, all down at the cross. Help us to feel the weight of our sin. Help us to feel the horror of it, not so that we feel shame and guilt, but that shame and guilt for the horror of our sin will lead you to the cross and experience the goodness of your grace. God, so often we forget how big your grace is, how good it is, how deep it goes. God, through this story, I think it helps us to understand when Ephesians says that we'll be learning about your immeasurable grace throughout all of eternity. God, give us a little piece of that now, a little piece of what we're going to know in heaven now, so that we might long for your presence, so that we might long for eternity, so that we might long to be cleansed from our sin, so that we might walk in your presence and might experience your joy, your peace, your wholeness, your harmony. God, this has been a difficult time. Difficult time in our history, in our nation, even in our churches, even in this church. God, we just pray that you'd be bigger than that. You've shown us how big you are through your covenants, through your plan, through history. God, I pray that we could hold on desperately to that, and when we are struggling, that we would run to you, whether that's sin, whether that's depression, anxiety, fear, apathy, that we would just run to you. God, just show us how big you are, how good you are, and how beloved we are to you. Thank you for your promises and that even though we break them, you never break them. Thank Thank you, God, for your faithfulness and steadfast love. Help us to be faithful in return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.